Well, as we begin uh, today, it is exciting uh, because today is the very first weekend that we are live streaming to our new Hobart Portage campus. And so I can stand here and I can say, good morning, Cedar Lake campus. And I can say for the first time, good morning, Hobart Portage Bethel Church. And I just want Crown Point here to, can we welcome Hobart, Hobart Portage today? Great to have you. Great to have you. And uh, we certainly hope that the Lord is uh, working and blessing in uh, each of our campuses this morning. And uh, I wanted to mention something just uh, pastorally here. A few weeks ago, I began a, uh, a new communication with our church family. This is via email. It's an it's a, a email from Pastor Steve. I've, I've called it First Bethelonians. And uh, we've been sending these out almost every week. Not every week, but almost every week. And uh, it's, a, it's a big email because it goes to our whole uh, mailing list. And one of the things we're finding is that because it's such a large uh, send, a lot of people's email filters are sending it into, and this is very irreverent, but sending it into junk email. Uh, so if you have not been receiving the first Bethelonians uh, email, A, we may not have your email address, and you can simply uh, email the church, Bethel at BethelWeb.org, and say, hey, this is my email address. Or secondly, you can uh, uh, just check your junk mail and see if maybe that's not in there and then unblock it. And hopefully you could receive that along with everybody else. I want to communicate with you. I want to share things that are going on in our church. I want to share devotional thoughts. I want to just uh, have a, a pastoral word to our congregation. So hopefully you can be a part of it. Well, this past weekend, my family, uh, we were uh, doing ministry in North Dakota. North Dakota in November. Why would God call anybody to go to North Dakota in November, right? They only need the Lord there like, say, May through (laughs) September, right? Because it's cold in North Dakota, and it was cold while we were up there uh, and and dry, and the the air is so dry. My hands felt like sandpaper the whole time we were there. Jennifer couldn't even wear her contacts because the air was so dry for her eyes, and... uh, so we're up in North Dakota, and we were there with Child Evangelism Fellowship. Maybe you're familiar with CEF, and I've done a lot of stuff with them over the years, and this was a thing with them up there. Um, but uh, one of the highlights I just sort of had to share with you uh, while we were there, I happened to look out our hotel window, and across the street from the hotel, it said uh, Curling Club. Now, once every four years, I get excited about curling. And uh, that's the Winter Olympics when I get excited about curling. And I don't know if you know what curling is. But so I said, we've got to go over there. And I was able to talk myself onto the ice, actually. And they let me throw one. They call them, go ahead and play the video. One, no, yeah, there we go. One rock. There I am. Look at that form. Isn't that nice? And there we go. And there's the sweeper doing his thing. I did not make it to the circle. Uh, and that's all they let me do. That was it. You're out. And, uh, but it was fun. It was a fun memory, actually. One of my highlights on this, on this trip. And curling is a, it's a northern sport for obvious reasons. Um, it's the, 
You know, it's, it's the northern sport where you keep your teeth, uh, frankly. Uh, you don't find curling facilities in the deep south, do you? And Canada always wins the gold medal in curling uh, because they, they love it so much up there. You know, there are some activities that are found where things are cold, and there are some activities that are found where things are warm. And spiritually, the same thing is true. When my heart is cold, there are certain things that will mark my activities, my thoughts, and what I give myself to. When my heart is warm, there are things that are a part of what my heart and my life are actively doing. And spiritually speaking, I would dare say that the number one thing that is a part of a heart that is spiritually warm is prayer. Is prayer. Real prayer. When I say real prayer, what I mean by that is not the sort of rote speaking of words to God, but actual, authentic, down in my heart, praying to the Lord. That real prayer, that engaged prayer, I am praying to the Lord. And this series that we've been doing on prayer is a part of a desire to revitalize prayer in our congregation and to make sure that we're equipping our church to know what is prayer, why do we pray, how should we pray. We've hit all of these themes in this series, and it's so critical. And I agree with D.A. Carson. He says this, What is both surprising and depressing is the sheer prayerlessness that characterizes so much of the Western church. It is surprising because it is out of step with the Bible that portrays what Christian living should be. It is depressing because it frequently coexists with abounding Christian activity that somehow seems hollow, frivolous, and superficial. We can be busy about all kinds of spiritual things, but are we busy about the right things? Are we spending our energies on the most important things? And prayer, by the testimony of Scripture and the example of Jesus and the Apostles, certainly is one of those things. And it is a mark of a mature Christian. And it's one of those, like curling, uh, it's one of those activities that kind of indicates where our hearts are actually at. As uh, Robert Murray McShane said, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. And can we say what a church is when it is alone on its knees before God, that it is and no more. What's your prayer life like? Think of this last week. How aware were you this last week of your need for God? Did you walk with God this week? Was there a, 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 a sense of communing with the Almighty God through His Son Jesus by the Holy Spirit or not? One more quote. Actually, I have a few more in this message, but uh, one more and we'll get into this. Eugene Peterson, who's considered kind of the pastoral guru, lots of pastors look to him for guidance, and he, uh, he wrote that the most important thing that a pastor can do is to teach his people to pray. And we're striving to do that. And in this message here at the end of our series, it's the last one in the series, uh, this is basically all application. This message is how to make prayer practical, helps and tips for engaging with God in prayer. That's where we're going in this message. And we've already looked at a number of passages that speak to prayer, just a few that I'd like to read for you as we get into this. 
Luke 18, 1, then Jesus told his disciples they should always pray. 1 Timothy 2, 8, I desire then that in every place that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Matthew 6, here's four in a row from the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. When you pray, do not heap up empty words like the Gentiles do. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And we just see, it's almost like Jesus assumes that his people are going to pray. He doesn't necessarily, he doesn't say, uh, well, he does in the one place, he says everyone should always pray. But the rest of it's like, hey, when you pray, because we all know Christians are going to be praying. So here's how you should pray when you pray. The assumption is that somebody that has come to know God through Christ and who has now the promises that the scriptures have to say to us about a relationship with God, that that person is going to regularly communicate with their heavenly father. So how do we do that? And so this is a very practical message. I'm not doing any big exposition in this message. I just am wanting to give some tips on how uh, to make prayer practical in your life. I'm speaking a lot of this out of my own kind of experience. We have godly people here who, if they could get up and say, hey, what are some tips that you would have, would have a whole bunch of great things to say. And obviously, great, godly, holy men and women in in history have uh, written at length about this. I'm going to try to draw on a few of those in this message. So I've entitled this Seven seven, uh, Prayers for Highly Effective Prayer Life. And so i got seven prayers that we should pray regularly. And here's the first one. It is the planned prayer, the planned prayer or the daily prayer. The first thing about prayer, if we're going to have actually a prayer life is we have to have a plan to pray. The old adage is true that uh, if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. And that applies to a prayer life with God. In fact, I would say that probably the number one reason that people say that they don't pray is that we don't have, I don't have time to pray. I'm so busy with this or that. I'm running here or there. I have no time to pray. I read one man who said this, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Now, last night at our Saturday night service, everybody laughed at that. And I stopped him and I said, okay, out of grace, you can laugh at that. That breaks my heart. And it condemns me too. Throw in TV as another example of pretty much sheer wasted time. And you think, do you want to step into heaven having spent more time watching your favorite sitcom than actually talking with your heavenly father? And how many modern-day American Christians give time to useless, frivolous things and no time to the things that actually would deepen our communion with the Lord? Throw on top of that, we live in a day where in spite of all of our things that we own and all of that, we're probably the most anxious, worrisome people in history. We're popping pills, we're going to therapists, we're trying to have somebody that helps us in some way deal with the anxiety that I have in my life. And all the time, God has said there is an answer and a solution to that anxiety within you. And it's not necessarily the doctor, the therapist, or the pill. 
What what does God say? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. Then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. How about praying? And on the other side of praying, to know that what I have done now in communicating with my Heavenly Father is nourishing my soul. It is enriching my heart. It is, it is preparing me for this day that I'm going to live. You look at it from that perspective and you think, why wouldn't we pray? Why wouldn't we pray? I read a book, a little book this week about Martin Luther's prayer life, which is a total fascinating uh, uh, part of, of his story. Luther was an amazing prayer. And, uh, you know, talk about being busy. How about starting the, the Reformation and running that whole thing in Europe? Uh, he was clearly a busy guy. And uh, one day somebody came up to him and said, hey, what are your plans for the next day? And he said, work, work from early morning until late. In fact, I have so much to do, I shall spend three hours in prayer. Now that's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because what do we typically do when we have a busy day? What's the first thing that goes out the window? We think, well, I can get right into my stuff and maybe I won't spend time with God today uh, because I have so much to do. But Luther looked at it from the other perspective. When I have a day that's overloaded, that's a day I need to spend intentionally more time in prayer because of all the things that are weighing on my mind. We have to have a plan to pray because always life is going to try to suck it away. Piper says this, if you don't plan a vacation, you probably will stay home and watch TV. The natural unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. There is a race to be run and a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. And so that's why having a plan for praying is so critical. Can I ask you, or maybe if I caught you after the service, hey, I talked about that plan to prayer. Pray, what's your plan? Would you be able to answer that? What is your plan to pray? Many people, I think, just sort of go into the day and like, well, I'll do whatever. And then the time with God and reflection on God, out the window it goes. And we can go days. We can go weeks without having quality time with God. And what does that do to our hearts and our souls? They shrivel up and are ineffective. So I want to encourage you to have a plan. Here's what I do, okay? This is just kind of what I do. I'm, I'm a morning person, okay? I wake up early in the morning. Oftentimes, I don't want to wake up early in the morning. My body just does that. I read in Ecclesiastes, I think it's Ecclesiastes 12 this morning, uh, about old age, where you rise at the sound of the bird, and some of you are living that life with me right now, right? And uh, you can't wait for that 815 service to begin here at the Crown Point campus. That's the one for me. I'll have been up five hours already. Um, you're upset because it's cutting into your afternoon nap time. I'm a morning person. So I, do, I have my time with God in the morning. So like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Saturday, well... Saturday afternoon, actually, is when I do it. Sunday morning. Those are my primary times. I read a few chapters of Scripture, and then I prayer prayer walk, and I'm going to get to that in a second, too. 
that, and that's what I do. And that's just kind of my rhythm, right? So can I urge each of you to have a plan? You know, if we make appointments with our doctors and with our plumbers, how about making an appointment with God? Maybe actually putting it on the calendar. You know, 645, God. That's not one you want to break, right? That's not an appointment you want to miss. Maybe that would help. We make time for things that are important to us. And one of the things about prayer is that our natural selves don't want to do it. In fact, even as I'm talking like this and even encouraging you to have a plan, I know full well that in your hearts and honestly in mine a little bit, there's kind of like a, oh, I really don't want to do that. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I went down into the kitchen and Jennifer was feeding Lee breakfast. And uh, she has a sippy, and so she's drinking her sippy. And uh, she would put it down, and we're trying to teach her to pray, right? And so Jennifer says, okay, time to pray before we eat. Well, she grabs her sippy right away, and she starts sipping it some more. She puts it down, Jennifer goes, okay, now it's time to pray. She grabs the sippy again. And it seems to me that when it comes to prayer, we, we all want to grab our sippy, right? <laughs> we all want to do something else other than actually pray. And why is that, right? Why is that? We, we have no problem watching the football game for three hours and we have no problem, you know, engaging in some uh, friendship conversation. But when it comes to talking to God, there is something in us going, no. And the reason that we have that feeling is that we have what the Bible calls is the flesh. That sinful nature inside that is actively and dynamically trying to keep us from doing the things that please God. That tries to keep us from doing the things that would be spiritually profitable. And one of the keys of the Christian life is that when I feel resistance in my heart to doing something that I know God wants me to do, I need to take that resistance as an indication that I need to press forward even harder with it. It's kind of like spiritual judo, and I'm no expert in judo, but judo is the art of taking somebody's weight and momentum and using it against them. And spiritually, we have to kind of judo the flesh because it comes at us with this desire to keep us from doing what God wants us to do and to take that and say, oh yeah, watch this, right? And then you go pray for like a week. For some of us, five minutes would be a big first step. And you know what? I'm good with baby steps. Okay? Just get going with it. Get involved. I hear some people that say, I pray on the way to work. That's my prayer time. I want to encourage you that that's not the best prayer time. Either you are distracted in your driving or you are distracted in your praying. Now, there are roads around here that you ought to pray as you drive, right? But that's a whole other issue. Um, Find a quality time in your day that you can step aside and get vertical with God. Okay? The daily prayer, the the planned prayer. Here's the second prayer to pray. It's the quiet prayer. The quiet prayer. Here's Luke 5, verse 16, describing the prayer life of our Savior Jesus. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, why do you suppose that Jesus himself would see environment as being an important part of his prayer life? 
Is it because Jesus didn't have the mental acumen to stay focused in a loud environment? He just couldn't do it. He's the son of God. He could pray quality prayers anywhere he wanted to pray them. But he realized that to pray is a matter of introspection. It is a time of reflection. It is spiritual. It is mental. And it is hard to do that when you're in a place where there is, you know, tons of distraction. The Bible talks about the prayer closet. Remember Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and pray. Now let's think for a moment what it's like to stand in a closet. Imagine it with me. We open the door. Okay. I'm standing in a closet now. What's it like? It's dark. It's quiet. I'm all alone. That's a great place to pray. I can see (laughs) Bethelonians, you know, standing in closets all across northwest Indiana. I can't breathe in here. It's a metaphor for a kind of place to be. But find a place like that. Make it a sacred place for you. I had a friend, they lived in a small home. They had a kind of a dungy basement, but he kind of made a little spot in his basement and that became a little sacred place for him. In the places that I've lived over the years, I could take you to places that became sacred places for me because I would go there and pray. To this day, I could take you to a swing set. I know it sounds silly, but I could take you to a swing set in Carmel, Indiana, that was like a little place of ho- a house of worship for me. I would go there and I would pray. I was alone and I could just talk with God. Do you have any places like that? Maybe think about in your house, apartment, dorm, whatever. Is there any place that you could just make that place and get quiet before God? It's very, very helpful. I mentioned prayer walking earlier, and I just want to uh, mention this. I, I uh, probably 20 years ago was introduced to, prayer, to walking and praying, okay? You keep your eyes open, you walk, you pray, and, uh, and that's just prayer walking. And it has been such a blessing to me. Uh, and the reason I think is that for me, when I, you know, especially at night, like if I get on my knees to pray at night, something like that, it's like, dear God, I'm, I can't pray at night. If we ever have like the midnight prayer meeting around here or something like that, somebody else is leading it. Okay. Cause I just go to sleep like, like that. And I find sitting and praying for any length of time also to be challenging. So prayer walking for me has been such a blessing. I just, I walk around my neighborhood. Some of you are neighbors of mine. You maybe see me walking around the neighborhood. Um, it doesn't take much. I'll, I'll walk around a little room in our house. Just walk, because I don't have to think. My blood is flowing to my brain and I can talk out loud as I walk. Give it a try. It has been a, very much a help to me. Now, I can hear some of you going, there ain't no place in my life that's quiet, right? Maybe you're a mom with kids or something like that, and you're like, I I wish I had a prayer closet. I go in my closet, there's seven kids in the closet. (laughs) Where do I go to pray? And I just want to encourage you, did you know that Jesus grew up in a little bitty house in Nazareth with nine people in the home? He had four brothers, he had two sisters, his mom, his dad, himself. He knows what chaos is like in a house. And if you find yourself presently in that situation, do the best you can. And know that the Jesus in heaven who's interceding on your behalf understands 
the challenges that maybe the season of life has. But try it. Let me just encourage you, get alone with God. Get quiet before God. Read some scripture. Read a chapter two or three, something like that. God's word is God speaking to us. Prayer, in a sense, is us speaking to God. And that kind of quietness and solitude does something within us. It's not that God... uh, it's it's not that God hears us better if we're in a quiet place. I think it's that we hear God better when we are in a quiet place. So find that kind of place in your life. Leads to the third prayer. This is the engaged prayer. The engaged prayer. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I, I am confident you can relate to this. What is one of the biggest challenges when you go to pray? Is it not that three words into your prayer, you're thinking about something else. All of a sudden, your mind is off going this way, that way. And I think if if you want to know what it's like to be ADD, just start praying, right? Because a thousand thoughts come into your mind all at the same time. You're like, where did that come from? And where did that come from? I'm trying to pray right now. Somehow, that's just the way that it works. I think it is somewhat related to the flesh. Maybe you can relate to this. Here's... Here's me thinking about uh, some of the prayers that seems like the way that my prayers go. Dear God, I come to pray to you. I come to you in prayer today. Is the washing machine done? I want to confess my Chicago Bears play their game today. Please forgive me. Is that lint on the floor over there? Today I want to pray for my lawn needs to be mowed. I'm out of gas. That's kind of what's going on in my brain oftentimes. I have to fight against that. Strangely, I find that many of the best ideas that I have about life, family, ministry come to me while I'm praying. But they're not things that I'm necessarily praying about. They just, they like come to me. And I have found, and then my mind wants to think about those things, right? It kind of starts running down that path and I'm off from praying right away. So one of the things that I have found to be helpful is to have a notebook, maybe your phone or something, you can type a note to yourself real quick, nearby, and just write those things down and then get back to what you're, you're doing. So your brain doesn't have to keep kind of processing that thing that uh, came to your mind. The Puritans uh, taught this about prayer. They said, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. What does that mean? I hope he explains that. I'm going to. But think about it for a moment. Why would the Puritans urge people to pray until you pray? Because prayer a couple hundred years ago was the same experience as it is today. The human heart, the human mind, the soul was the same. When we go to pray, yes, there are rabbit trails that all of a sudden come to us And we have to continue to pray until we have gotten to that place where I am in an undistracted way, as best I can, focusing on, communicating with, fellowshipping with my Heavenly Father. Keep praying. Prayer sometimes is like getting in a cold pool, right? At first you're like, (gasps) and, and you want to jump out right away. But as you get a little bit deeper, you begin to acclimate to the temperature 
And then you're actually in the pool. And in prayer, the same is true. Keep praying. Fight against those rabbit trails mentally. Keep at it. And the soul will eventually settle into a season of prayer. I also find it help. Here's another tip. Uh, I find it helpful to talk out loud when I pray. I find my thought-type prayers, you know, there's the, prayer, the prayers that you just sort of are thinking and you're sort of praying to God in your mind. My thought-type prayers are uh, embarrassing. Like if I read a transcript of my thought-type prayers, it would sound more like what I read earlier, where, dear God, Chicago Bears, Lent on the floor, gas in the, for the mower. And my thoughts are not complete, But when I speak, it kind of forces me to speak in sentences and to actually complete thoughts that I'm saying to God. So try that, okay? Go on a prayer walk, walk around your neighborhood and talk out loud and we'll see you in the Lake County Jail. (laughs) Or some other social agency facility for people like you. That's why I try to do my prayer walking at night so I don't end up in jail. All right. What is going on mentally when prayer is healthy? Like, what's going on inside? Listen to the great Puritan John Owen describe what a healthy internal prayer experience is like. He said, pray as you think. Consciously embrace with your heart every gleam of light and truth that comes to your mind. Thank God for and pray about everything that strikes you powerfully. Folks, realize praying is not talking continuously. Sometimes we feel that pressure. It's like a couple out on a first date where there has to be constant chatter or we're never going to get married. Prayer is much more like that conversation on the swing on the front porch. Or like a mature friendship where you don't have to have continuous conversation, right? You have relationship and you sort of move in and out of conversation or not. You enjoy being together. So don't view prayer as me talking to God. Most people will not be able to pray very long if that's the case. We run out of things to say, right? But if I can see prayer more as me striving to commune with God spiritually and to talk, yes, but also to listen. Now, do we hear an audible voice? I have never heard an audible voice in prayer, not one time. But there is something soulish to prayer as I am aware that I am having an encounter with God, that he is listening to what I have to say That by his spirit, I am in a kind of communion with almighty God. Strive for that. Seek that. Prayer is words, but it's much more than words. Next kind of prayer to pray is the soul-affecting prayer. The soul-affecting prayer. You know, there is a subjective side to prayer. The mystics would equate the feelings that you have with God. Don't do that, okay? We don't want to do that. But we also don't want to say that prayer is mechanical, right? There is something that is soulish 
to prayer. There is an internal kind of spiritual thing that's going on. Now, you might say, when I pray, I don't feel anything. And there are many times when we pray that we don't feel anything. Does that mean that we're not praying? No, it doesn't mean that. Why? Because my prayer is not effective because of, you know, the amazing prayer that I am. My prayers are effective because I am a child of God. And so by faith, I have to believe that as I am praying, even when it feels like people talk about my, you know, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. They're not getting to heaven. When it even feels, when it feels that way, I have to tell myself what is true, which is that these prayers are going into the very throne room of God and are being heard by the Almighty. Now that takes faith at times, but I have to believe that. Soul affecting prayer. We need prayer to raise up our affections for God. And I don't know anything that does it as good as prayer. Word of God, maybe you could argue one or the other. Both are really wonderful with this. Now, why do we need, why do we need our affections raised? And the reason is that spiritually, every morning, we wake up in North Dakota. It's cold. It's barren. It's dry. We wake up that way. We're like, oh, it's another day. And even spiritually, it's like, oh, I got no sort of mojo going here. But when I pray, when I pray, when I really pray, there is a kind of stirring up of those affections. It's like the, the, uh, the Italian salad dressing, you know, where you, you shake it up and all those little herbs now find their way into the rest of the, of the salad. That's what prayer does. I've got all of that truth and faith. It's all settled down. I slept all night. I need to shake it up again and get it pervasive in my body. That wasn't in my notes. Was that good? (laughs) And I have no idea how that came across in the video stream. I'll apologize right now. I'll often pray this when I pray in the mornings. God, stir up right affections for you. Can I encourage you, tell God you love him in your prayer time. You say, but I I don't know that I feel love for God when I say that. Those words are powerful words. When a spouse says that to the other spouse, there are days where maybe those feelings aren't there. But the act of actually saying the words, I love you, itself has a way of stirring up those affections, doesn't it? And when we say that to God, say that. Say, God, I love you, but I don't love you as much as I should. Help me to love you more. But I love you. And when we pray that kind of prayer to God, there is a kind of thing that happens spiritually within us as as the gospel and as truth sort of works its way back into my soul and my mind and now i'm ready for the day right because i got my priorities right love god love my neighbor as myself out the door i go but to this is of all the things i want i, I want you to get this may be the most important one prayer we we have to do that that's why when we don't pray It's like not coming for worship or something like that. Can you get away with it for a day or two? You bet. But what happens over time in my soul when I am not actively communing with God 
It shrivels, it gets cold, and the things of God seem distant, and they're not really that important to me anymore. And so God has given us this precious gift, prayer, as a daily way to stir up those holy affections for him over and over and over again. We, we wake up in North Dakota, but after we uh, pray, we, we land in Hawaii, right? There's palm trees and sun, and now I'm ready to go in my day. Can I give you another tip? Uh, just out of my own experience, probably, arguably for me, the most helpful, affection-stirring thing that I do in my time with God is I sing. There are some times in my, my prayers, half of the time are songs that I sing to God. Okay? There is something about lyrics that are about God or towards God that as I, I could say them, but it's not the same as singing them, right? Somehow singing them causes my soul to delight in the truth that I'm, that I'm singing. Try this with me a moment. And uh, campuses as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now am found, was blind, but now I see. What just happened? It feels to me right now different than it felt before we sang that. What just happened? We sang the gospel. And as we sang that, there is a kind of resonance within the soul that is stirred by that. And there are so many wonderful songs, and I grew up in the church. I know many, many hymns by heart, many great praise songs by heart. And when I go before the Lord, I almost always start by singing, okay? Almost always. In fact, my prayers before preaching many, many years, I almost always sing How Great Thou Art. That's like one of the things that I always will sing. But, uh, you know, crown with many crowns. Praise the Lord uh, God Almighty. His name is wonderful. And on and on you could go with songs like that. Try it, okay? Try it. If you need to buy a hymnal, buy a hymnal. You say, I can't buy a hymnal because I gotta buy a new remote for my TV. Aha! (laughs) Exactly the problem. What would you be willing to do to deepen your walk with Almighty God? Sing. Okay? Sing. So, did you get that? Go around your neighborhood walking, talking out loud, and singing. We have a wonderful pastoral visitation, though. Don't worry. We'll come see you. The next prayer to pray is the ceaseless prayer. The ceaseless prayer. Many of you know 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Anybody do that this week? Any saint here uh, pray without ceasing all week? What does that mean? 
Like, is that even possible? How could you pray without ceasing? Well, if we understand something about prayer, I think the principle here is a very helpful one. Prayer is not simply me talking to God. It is relational. It is conversational. It is communal. In other words, prayers don't end when you say amen. At least they ought not to. And what I mean by that is that God has so set this up that we are in a constant relationship with him. And by praying, we have a constant access, an always open line with God. And a mature Christian throughout the day will be aware of that, be aware of God, and throughout the day will be communicating with God. Now, I, I, sometimes that's a, a brief, like a Nehemiah prayer, quick prayer. Sometimes that can be more than that. But to see prayer, one Puritan said that, or no, it was an early church father that said, everything that the Christian does is prayer. If we see prayer, don't minimize it to the words I say to God, but see it in a larger scope. It is my, the life of communication with my heavenly father. Let me illustrate it this way. I saw this somewhere. I thought it was good. This is my phone. Okay. Many of you probably have a, uh, a, a smartphone and my phone does has a, a feature on it where if I'm talking to somebody on my phone and somebody else calls me. It's like, it goes like boop, boop in my ear to let me know that there's somebody else on the line. And so what I can say then is I can say, hey, hold on, I've got to switch over to this other call. And so I can look at it and I tap on the, on the, on the other call, hello. And that person says, hey, and I go, hey, I've got somebody else on the other line. Can I get back with you, right? And so then I can switch back and I can uh, tap on that person. I maybe even leave the other person on hold, right? And I go, hey, what's going on? Yeah, I, I need to get to that other person a second. And I can tap on that one. Some of you have phones that do that, right? Okay. I see some people going, I had no idea they could do that kind of thing. <laughs> There's no wire connected to his phone. <laughs> what is... Praying without ceasing. It is living my day with the awareness that all day God is on the other line. And that I am able throughout the day to go over to him. Back and forth. Maybe I'm doing my work or I'm in my classroom or I'm involved in some activity and I'm giving it truly my mental thoughts. But I'm aware that my heavenly father is on the other line, right? And can I just encourage you that God awareness throughout the day and that communing with God, that thinking about God as I am living my day, seeing him on the other line, communicating with him is what it means to pray without ceasing. To never say amen to your prayers, metaphorically, spiritually. Try that sometime. Maybe you need to put a sticky note somewhere that says, my heavenly father is on the other line as a reminder through the day to think about him. Maybe you have an appointment or something. Just, hey, God, help me in this appointment. That's what I do. 
you know, I live my life by appointments, it feels like, and so I can, I can just before an appointment or some meeting and say, God, give me wisdom for this one. I need strength, or I'm tired, or, you know, just go over, to, go over to that other line and then get on with the matter at hand. Praying without ceasing. The next prayer is the guided prayer, okay? The guided prayer. You know, for centuries, most Christians read their prayers. Did you know that? This whole extemporaneous praying thing uh, that, we, that we currently have is, I don't know if I'd call it a, a, a new phenomenon, but we live in a day where Christians would view reading a prayer that somebody else wrote as being uh, inauthentic or I'm being re- it's too religious for me. I've got to speak off the cuff to God for it to be real. I don't agree with that. And I think one of the wonderful ways that we can learn how to pray is to follow along with, with guided prayers or with models that provide a structure for us, us to pray. And Scripture gives us a few of these. The Lord's Prayer, the most famous one, I mentioned to you Warren Wiersbe says that he prays through the Lord's Prayer every single day. Now, does that mean he just quotes it? No. What is he doing as he prays our Father who art in heaven? He thinks about uh, God in heaven. Uh, transcendent, relational with him. Hallowed be your name. Considers God. I pray that your name would be, and the fame of your name would be high and holy in this day, and so forth. To use it as a structure. Here's a few others. The Ten Commandments. The fruit of the Spirit. That list in Galatians 5. The Psalms. Martin Luther, and I have to confess to you, I have not really done this with the Psalms, but he would take the Psalms and he would pray through a specific Psalm. And he would allow what that line in that Psalm was saying to be the structure of his prayers. And he would follow along the Psalm and he would pray through the Psalms. All of these, I think, are wonderfully helpful. And one of the ways that they're helpful is, you might think that you're a really great prayer, I got books on prayer that you could read, and you read the prayers of the saints of old, and we are all, we're like all in kindergarten, honestly. The depth, the theology, the understanding in these kinds of prayers, and I find that by praying those prayers, reading those prayers as a prayer myself, it helps me understand how to actually pray. And my prayers are deeper and wider and more Godward than I am naturally off the cuff. And I do a lot of things off the cuff. I'm not bad off the cuff. But I ain't them in my prayer time. That I can tell you. But I want to be. Very much I want to be. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, can I encourage you to memorize the first three? The Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Fruit of the Spirit. Just have them down. So that when you are in your prayer closet and you're praying, you can pray through the Ten Commandments. Or you can pray through that list of the fruits of the Spirit. And to pray each one of those qualities by the Spirit in your life that day. God, I pray that you would help me today to love those around me. I pray that you would grant to me joy that comes from you. I, I desire peace and it comes by the Spirit. Spirit, come. Fill me today. That's another great thing to pray, I think. Holy Spirit, fill me today. May I be controlled by you as I leave this place to go out into this world pray that. Here's another really helpful guide. It's the Valley of Vision. This is a uh, collection of, I think, uh, prayers based on Puritan prayers. And uh, uh, you ought to pick one of these up. I'll tell you what Jennifer and I do. Our tradition is every Saturday night, 
Um, the last thing we do on Saturday night is we, in bed, we pray, or we, we read one of these prayers out loud, and click goes the lamp, and now we're ready to worship on Sunday. That's what we do. Do your own thing, okay? But we find it to be helpful. So maybe get a good book of prayer. The Book of Common Prayer is probably the most famous one. Valley of Vision is another good one. You've got models in Scripture. But do them. And uh, agree with the words as you pray them. Mentally say them to God. I think it's very meaningful and helpful. Here's the last prayer. Okay? The last prayer is the answered prayer. The answered prayer. I'm not going to get into the big debate here about how the sovereignty of God works through human prayers or how God answers prayers, other than to read what Jesus said about this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now there's the promise of God. Ask me in my name, I will do it. He says elsewhere, anything in according to the Lord's will, he will do it. I just don't think we actually believe that. Or we would pray more, wouldn't we? If you actually thought that God was going to answer your prayer, would you not pray more? I believe that we would. What is our problem when it comes to this? Part of the problem is many of us have prayed for things that God hasn't answered the way that we wanted him to. And so you do that about three times and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try something else. This clearly doesn't work. And we misunderstand what prayer is. Prayer is not about me changing the mind of God primarily. Prayer is about the mind of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God changing me so that the things that I desire and want in my life are the same things that God desires and wants in my life. And when I pray according to that will, the answer is yes every time. Now, you say, well, that sounds good, but I don't, uh, I don't follow. This is a very helpful thought from Tim Keller. We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. Let that settle down upon the heart of The individual here that is breaking over the wayward son or daughter. Let that truth settle down upon the person with cancer in this place who's prayed and prayed and prayed for healing. Let that settle down upon the couple here struggling with infertility. Prayed and prayed and prayed over and over and over again. We don't need to be trite with the reality of life and what prayer is. By faith to believe that if I knew everything that God knows, that I would answer the prayer the way that he is answering this prayer. And that is hard. Let's just acknowledge it. It is hard. But the promise is true. And it summons us to pray pray over our lives, to pray over our church, to pray over our families, to pray over our dreams, to pray over our hurts, to pray over our sufferings, to pray over our relationships, 
to pray over our country and our leaders, to pray over missions work around the world, to, to pray over those uh, sins and troubles and bondages of the heart, to pray and pray and pray and to know that God hears. What a privilege it is to pray. I think we ought to pray more. The planned prayer, the quiet prayer, the engaged prayer, the soul affection prayer, the ceaseless prayer, the guided prayer, the answered prayer. I hope these are equipping for you because the most important thing that a pastor can do is to teach his people to pray. And I'm going to pray right now over this. Heavenly Father, I pray to you human words that in themselves have no power. But God, we believe that Jesus is at your right hand, Heavenly Father, interceding for us. We believe that the Holy Spirit is taking our weakness and is interceding for us. God, we believe that you care and you love. And I pray this prayer over our church. I pray that Bethel Church would increasingly be a praying church. Lord, so many other things we could look to as indications of spiritual health, but we know that this one is nearly infallible. Do we pray or not? Do we see our need or not? Are we broken or not? And God, I just pray that you would help us to pray. Help us to pray well. Help us to mature and to grow. Lord, I pray for the new Christian here who all of this is new, and I I pray that you would encourage him or her in their prayer life. God, I pray for the, the saint who's walked with you for many years. May they not grow weary in praying. And may we together as a congregation uh, build each other up and encourage one another as we pray for one another and love one another. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you would stand with me, please, for a final benediction, a kind of prayer. And I will pray this over us. Let all of us, wherever we are, in every place, in every hour, at every time of the day, believe truly and humbly and keep in our heart and love, honor, adore, serve, praise and bless, glorify and exalt, magnify and give thanks to the most high and supreme eternal God. Trinity in unity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, creator of all, savior of all who believe in him and hope in him and love him, the Son above all else forever. Amen and amen. God's grace to you all.